You know, again, it's getting creative, like with anything that challenges that you're faced with, you know, it may be a roadblock one place, but you can find alternative solutions. There's always solutions to every problem, no matter if it's COVID or what it is, if you think that way. Welcome to the Clear Choices Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eigner, and it is my unique privilege to bring you intriguing conversations with people who have made the bold choices necessary to elevate their lives and create a positive impact on the world. By hearing their stories, I hope you walk away more motivated and more inspired to do the same in your life. Because we all have choices to make. My goal is to help inspire you to make more conscious and powerful choices, clear choices. Now let's get started. Have you ever thought about hosting your own podcast? This episode of Clear Choices is brought to you in partnership with Libsyn, powerful podcast hosting, the podcast hosting, distribution, and monetization platform since 2004. Use promo code CHOICES and you can get over one month of free services. Go to Libsyn.com, promo code CHOICES. Hello, welcome to another edition of Clear Choices. Welcome to 2021. And as COVID has been such a huge part of our lives for the last eight months, unfortunately, it's impacted the economy, it's impacted politics, and of course, it's impacted our health and our mindset. It's also impacted something else, and that is youth sports. I have on the show today, Paul Walker, who is the first guest I've had in the last 40 episodes who is a return guest. So uh, that's an honor bestowed on him. Uh, and he is the founder and director of Kids Off the Streets and uh, and Total Football Academy, which is a major player in, in youth sports and, and youth development in general in Southern California. He's had a major impact on disadvantaged youth in Southern California. And he talked a lot about his program a year ago when he was on the show, but I brought him back today because I really want to get his insight on, on how COVID has impacted not only youth sports, but also young adults in general. So, Paul Walker, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Rob. Good to be back. I love to have you here. So, obviously, you know, there's been such massive impact uh, on everything because of COVID. Um, what's been some of the major changes and ripple effects you've seen in your world, which is all around you know, youth sports? I guess the biggest impact is not being able to conduct our normal training routines throughout the weeks. You know, we were not able to get involved in any type of competitive environment and uh, facilities have all closed down starting way back in March. So with the governor's restrictions um, and policies, you're, we're just handcuffed. There's really nothing you can do. Uh, at least at first, there was really nothing anybody could do but quarantine, not to mention nobody really understood it and has ever really has ever lived through this. So we were all trying to wrap our head around COVID and guidelines and how to deal not only personally and within our own families, but as well as representing a large organization like our club and all the families involved there. And uh, so those were the beginning very difficult challenges, as well as trying to plan for the future. Uh, you know, we had events planned, yet no one knew how long this would last. And always being the ultimate optimist, 
I'm always thinking, oh, by this time, if we give it some more time or postpone the event, you know, we'll, we'll be able to uh, have it. But at the end of the day, we, we came to realize that postponing things was inevitable, that just you, you're not going to have these events aren't going to happen. Uh, you just have to wrap your head around it and accept it and, and then find uh, other, other routes, if any, and get creative under the rules and regs to do stuff. As they say, uh, safety first, right? Correct. Always safety first. Following protocols is, is the utmost, especially with uh, somebody like us, uh, when we're dealing with such a large population and, and kids, youth, you know, it's like, okay, well, we've got a major liability on our hands if we do anything. And if we're not properly prepared or following guidelines, then, you know, it's on us. Absolutely. Now, talk to me a little bit about what you've noticed, observed, or heard from coaches and parents and mentors. What are some of the stressors and impacts you're seeing on the kids? Has it had a major mental impact on on, on the kids that are part of your organization? I think early on it did, you know, because it was it was very brand new for everybody. Everybody being quarantined in their homes and couldn't leave the house. Uh, nobody's used to that. However, as an adult, you you have to be the rock for your family. Even if you're, you know, concerned and you got anxieties, you still have to be that rock for your kids. And the kids have no idea how to manage the anxieties. And they look to their parents for that help and assistance. So early on, it was difficult for the families to adjust to the quarantine life. The good thing for us was getting creative and that was by conducting uh, the online Zoom training sessions. And basically, it was just to get all the kids on a screen through Zoom to interact. It was really a, it's a social thing. It wasn't so much, you know, training or, or improving your standards as a soccer player. It was social. It was so they still had a connection. Correct. It was all social related. So that they could see their friends and they could joke like they know, hey, it makes everybody feel good. So we would do these uh, Zoom sessions a couple of times a week. Uh, the coaches would organize a thing. Everybody would log in and away they'd go for an hour. And it was really healthy because they were in their home, yet they were being active. They were doing something physical. But at the end of the day, they were seeing all their friends and, and they could see that their friends were OK. So everybody was OK. And that really helped. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you brought up the Zoom because that is a good example of one of the positives. And that was one of my questions that I had planned on asking you. So I'll segue right to that is what are some of the overall positives that you've learned from this stretch of time in addition to the Zoom thing? And, and before you answer, I'll just say that I've noticed in many businesses and, and various people that I've interviewed on the show Everyone's had to pivot. Everyone's had to adapt and adjust to this new order that we're in right now. And as difficult as that been, there's been positives. Businesses have become more efficient or effective in certain ways. So what are some of the other positives or, or teachings that you've taken away from this stretch of time? You know, again, it's getting creative. Like with anything that challenges that you're faced with, you know, it may be a roadblock one place, but you can find alternative solutions. There's always solutions to every problem, no matter if it's COVID or what it is, if you think that way. And if you have a, a group of, of people around you that also feel that way, you get together and get creative. 
And so what we did besides our Zoom classes that they would see each other, we also uh, got to the point where we felt comfortable being able to take them out to the beach, right? And they, they were doing outdoor workouts out on the beach, following protocols, distancing, um, and it's open air and, you know, open space. Uh, you don't need a permit for, you know, to run around the sand. And it was super healthy for the kids. Another activity. Now they see each other in person, a physical activity, and the parents are loving it because for them, you know, they're challenged with having to maintain these kids at home all day, every day. And, and this was very helpful to the families to be able to get out of the house at least once or twice a week to do this kind of activity. And then eventually, as the months ticked off and passed, we were able to secure a soccer field or fields on the weekend where we could go out and do clinic style training. Uh, so it was just another day added to the to the schedule to be able to provide to these families and to the kids to come out and be out of the house and in a controlled environment where they could uh, do some physical work and be around their friends and their peers and doing something they love. And if you add up, you know, they were three or four times a week now doing something, it was, it's phenomenal. It's very healthy. It was healthy for everybody and very helpful for the parents. Yeah. And I've got to think that uh, whether it, it's communicated this way or not, there's a, a notable, um, a noticeable impact on the the kids, their, the players' well-being because you've, your organization has been able to create some sense of normalcy and habit for them in, in a very uncertain, unstable time. Yeah, correct. And, you know, being able to take your mind off of this stuff for several few hours throughout each day or every other day, very helpful, super helpful. I mean, us as adults, I, I would go, I just get in my car and go for drives. It was like, that was my quarantine vehicle. Uh, nobody else was in my car, just me. And I'm cruising around, take, going for drives um, because it was healthy to get me out of the house. And I didn't want to just sit and stare at walls all day. Or, and uh, so finding healthy activities that were safe, that followed protocol was very important. And we all did it. Had I not had the buy-in from parents, from coaches, staff, who, by the way, were doing this stuff as volunteers at this point, because of course, you know, we can talk about how negatively it's impacted the revenue stream. But uh, without everybody's buy-in, this couldn't have been possible. So, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. yeah. And we will we will talk about the revenue side of thing uh, momentarily. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I know that you've been striving for for the 20 plus years you've been building this organization and that is finally coming to fruition kind of ironically during COVID is that you finally have a, a graduating class of players who've been in your program a long time who are going to be graduating into college. So talk to us a little bit about how this unusual year has been impacting kids who are getting ready to go, you know, possibly play soccer in college or just attend college in general. Like what are some of the choices that people need to consider around that? Well, yeah, it's been, like you said, a long journey. Um, and, in a very difficult journey in the sense that the older age groups just to kind of paint the landscape of youth soccer in Southern California and really in the country, there were specific leagues, right. That 
you had to be approved to play in. And they're the elite league that is everybody wants to play in. And it was created by U.S. soccer. And they made all the decisions what clubs would be approved to play in this league or not. And, and then once you were approved to get into the league, would they allow you to have additional ages? So you start at the younger age at like under 12 and then go all the way up to under 19. Well, there's just getting into that league took us seven years. So you can imagine the diff, the, the stress on the, on the program, on me, on maintaining what we do because we're at a very high level, high achieving program. And, and help, help me edify a little bit, Paul. Yeah. What, what's the criteria? So it took you seven years to get there. What, yeah. what was the criteria? Are they looking at performance? Are they looking at funding? Are they looking at field? Like what, what gets you in or out? Well, what at first there was no in and literally no out. So there were eight clubs that were approved behind the scenes. Nobody even knew of this league. So U.S. Soccer went out and partnered up with eight clubs here in Southern California. They did this all over the country. But here in Southern California, there were eight clubs. And those eight clubs were clubs that had been you know, had storied histories, been around for a long time. Most of them had huge numbers, uh, have U.S. soccer pedigree in, within their staff. So they may, they, they checked all the boxes for U.S. soccer because they were buddy-buddy and, you know, it's who you know, not what you know. And in that, U.S. soccer felt that that was the, the model, that those are obviously the clubs that we need in our league to play in our league because they're going to draw all the talent. And, and not allow just the riffraff, basically, to come into this league. It's only for these the elite clubs, right? So here we go with this, the haves and the have-not mentality. U.S. soccer created that. And, and for the first four or five years of this league, there was no way of getting in. You couldn't apply. It didn't exist. It was done, and the door was locked. No matter how those clubs, those eight clubs performed or didn't perform or whatever they were, they were never, they were never subjected to being removed from the league, like a promotion relegation thing. So there were no standards other than got to have a country club looking youth soccer club with all the bells and whistles. And if you had all that, no matter what your performance on the field was like, you were in. And so those clubs were all in. Eventually us soccer finally came around, realized they were missing out on a lot of talent that the competition level was not great between those eight clubs and that they needed to open the door for expansion. So once they did that, of course, we'd been waiting and hoping and, and maintaining what we were doing and building and creating new projects to kind of position ourselves so that when we hit those ages, there was nothing like it. You were, you, were, you were under strong consideration. You wanted to put yourself in the best position. Well, I wanted to. It was the, if you build it, they will come. If you build it, they'll let us in. There's no way they won't. And so we created our academy project, which was based on a, a real pro academy of Europe. And it had to be funded because that, it's pay to play doesn't work in a, in a real academy. So this was a project that I created and thought about and I knew if we built it and grew it over the years, by the time we had grown it and we had met the age limit of where this league began, there was no way they would not allow us in because there would be nothing like it around Southern California. And in a sense, it worked. We weren't hitting on all cylinders when it came to the 
uh, structure and administrative side of this project because all our focus and, and money had to be directed to the soccer side, coaching, player development, uh, f- facility, but you had to have both. And once I was educated in the process and we got denied a few times, I realized, you know, where we were missing and we got that together and eventually we got in. And then there was a struggle to get additional ages every year because you had to apply. And so the stress of that was enormous because once you were in and you had a specific team in there, if you didn't get approved for expansion for that team to next the following year, they left. Yeah, you'd lose all those people. So yeah. So so let me let me interject because as it relates to my original question about college, obviously this we can tie this right back to my kind of theme, which is COVID, is that COVID did something to blow all this up. So talk to us about that. Interesting. Um, you know, it's amazing that the the journey we culminated back in January of 2020 when the U.S. soccer approved us pretty much for all ages in their league. So we had come full circle, so happy. We were like off the charts doing backflips because now we had the ability to provide ages and this league to all of our ages within the academy. And we had now caught back up to those ages that had escaped us, mm-hmm. which meant that our oldest ages being the U18, U19 age going into the 2020 fall season, we'd be able to provide that team, those players, the opportunity to play in the top league that they've never been able to play in for their final year with us in the club. Not only that, they would are the first graduating class to be going out of this academy project and opening the door for the, the ages that are following because we had all ages now. So, and, so, so I, I'm always yeah. one who likes to celebrate and, and, you know, acknowledge, you know, success. So, so let's take a pause for a second. So this has been a, you know, 20 plus year journey for you and a seven year journey specifically to get into the elite academies. So now that you're in the elite academies for all the ages and you have a graduating class, how does that feel? Talk to us about what, what, what feeling of gratification do you have from that? You know, to tell you the truth, Rob, it's very exciting. It's very gratifying when you're approved you know, when you know the journey and, and you're always on pins and needles, not sure if you're going to be approved, even though you and your heart feel for sure, there's no way they're not going to approve us, but we've been there before. So every year we're waiting for the call or waiting for the email or the letter to come in the mail that says you've been approved. So when I got that call, it was, you know, I called the whole staff just going bananas. What an exciting moment that was phenomenal. Uh-huh. Uh, however, the journey didn't end there or wasn't like we could just now relax. It was now going to require us to build an age that we didn't even have because they didn't approve it. And we didn't even have that, that age in our academy project. So there was a brand new team now that we had to go out and build. And you, had to, and you had to raise the standards to this new academy level for across yeah. the board. You had to raise your bar yet again. Staff wise, for sure, you have to have your staff has to meet that bar. Uh, we have to have enough quality staff that meets the guidelines. You know, it's there was a lot of work to do now that you want in all in. Well, you better be prepared to, to uh, you know, for everything that's coming at you work wise. And so, we were about to do that, and we were starting this was back in February of 2020. Well, you know what happened in March. Uh-huh. 
we shut down and went into COVID. Well, so did this league. This league that we had been begging, basically, crawling and begging to get into and accepted all A's. We finally get in and they decide to shut the league down and, and close the doors. Unbelievable. So from great news and, and optimism, now we get the news that the league has gone away. And you're thinking, so what was it all about? What was it all for after all this time? Well, fortunately, another league immediately took shape. And that was being conducted and run, managed by MLS, Major League Soccer. They stepped in to take over and create a brand new league, National League, that would be better than the other one that we were all coming out of. And in that, because we had positioned our club and done all this work for all those years, we were now at the very top of the heap as one of the identified clubs that all top leagues would want to be in, would approve. So when MLS was looking out at the landscape of youth clubs that they were going to approve as founding members, we were the one of the first that got the call to let us know not to worry that we were in their league. We actually got a call. We didn't have to apply at that point. How things that, how, how things have changed. Now, let me let me interject there because you know I, I I you know interviewed you a year ago. I you know read about you and and know about your organization. I know you to be a very resilient and positive person, but during, you know, what arguably could have been amongst the more challenging years that you've ever had with a league folding and COVID and all these things that we just discussed, what, what choices do you make? How do you go about staying positive? You know, I don't know. It's, it's something in me. I never get pessimistic. I don't go that route. Um, whenever there's a, a challenge that I'm facing personally or via the club or whatever it is, it's to sit down and, and figure out other alternative solutions to that. That's the choice I make. Find solutions. Don't sit around complaining and, and don't shut down and don't fall apart. Find solutions because there's solutions if you just sit down and get creative. And does, and dive, does diving into the solution-based thinking, does that does that give you calm? Does that make oh, you feel like I'm taking action? I'm feeling good. Of course. There's a you know, lots. I'm under stress, you know, and I'm feeling all stressed out at that point. But I know the only way to alleviate that is to come out with solutions. If you have solutions, then you put your mind to ease a bit. Now well, you can focus on, oh, okay, well, here's an option. I, you know, let's go that route or let's go this route and let's see which one works and just let's keep putting our heads together and we're going to come out of this. And little by little, when you come up with these options and ideas and solutions, some of them hit, some of them worked and away and we go. One of the things I want. Yeah. Go ahead, Paul. I didn't mean to interrupt you. We don't look back. We're always looking forward. So if this, this one solution or idea is now working and we're able to execute on it, that doesn't mean we're out of it. We got to continue to find and evolve and find new creative ideas and solutions as we're going through this, so that you're maintaining everybody's sanity. You're bringing solutions to everybody that impacts everybody, not just yourself or you know a few people. This is everybody. I mean, if, if a club that's representing a large population of people doesn't come up with solutions and it just goes dark on everybody, well, then your club pretty much is going to shut down. And you're, and you're having a negative impact on hundreds and hundreds of kids. You know, what, what, one of the things I love about what you're saying, Paul, is there's this book, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but there's a book called 
Designing Your Life, How to Build a Well-Lived, Joyful Life. And it's by a guy named Bill Burnett and another gentleman, Dave Evans, who are both Stanford design engineers, just, you know, like wow. they just design cars or whatever they design. Yeah. And they talk about this in the self-help book, basically. They talk about how to approach your problems and challenges in life like a designer would, which is they're looking for the problems. They want to find the potential design flaw so that they can have the best design of whatever it is they're making. And I'm assuming you probably haven't heard of that book, but yet that's the approach that you're taking to solving your problems and also like reducing your stress because you know, you're faced with like, we all are a lot of stress and your way of getting around that is creating a bunch of options and pathways to reduce it. Some people, you know, wallow in the stress. Correct. Many people do. Many people, most people are followers and that means they need, they need a direction and they're looking to the leaders to do that, to provide that. And if the, the leaders are falling apart or a mess and can't, aren't coming up with any, or they go into hiding everybody's in trouble. And so I'm not that, that's not me. And so I'm out in front of it, no matter how stressful that is and how much is stress I'm going through at the time, I've got to be the face of confidence of, you know, assuring everybody, everything's going to be fine. We're going to get through this, you know, and not just saying it and then coming up with ideas and, and executing on them. Once you can do that, then people are like, you know what? We're thankful and happy and so glad that the club, you know, the, the admin of the club, the leadership of the club is active doing something and, and working on behalf of everybody. And that's a great thing. Absolutely. And so I get that. Um, so I absolutely. And one of the kind of the tail end of this question this, that we've, we've talked about for quite a bit uh, in this conversation was, you know, kids going to college for the first time from your program. So talk to us about the significance about kids from your program going to college, A, and B, how have their choices around that been impacted by the COVID situation? Well, you know, the fact that we finally got to the age group, uh, the, the oldest age group within this youth soccer, which is under 19, that we have a an approved age to play in the highest levels if and when a season was to to happen. Unfortunately, with COVID, we haven't been able to play a season yet. And for a lot of these kids that have been with us a long time or have joined us of late, you know, they're in their final year of youth soccer. They're going on to college, hopefully. I mean, that's the, the whole goal here. And that's the mission of this project. And with that, the idea is to put them and showcase all these players in events where we can showcase them to college university scouts. From one point of perspective, we're not able to do that because we're not playing in a league. Everything's shut down. So there aren't events right now where we can showcase them. So what do we do? Do we not just do anything? No. So what we ended up doing is we hired a coach that came into our program this year who has experience, a lot of experience as a college uh, coordinator, college placement coordinator, where he is out in front of and has many relationships with all over the country with lots of universities and college scouts and knows the ins and outs of placing players, of getting them out in front of scouts without them being on a field and seeing these kids via video introductions. Uh, and then when time and the opportunity comes to be seen in public via a showcase event, 
they'll be there because he's getting it all established, set up and getting everybody linked up. So it's an amazing thing right now that we now have a pipeline and, and a, uh, an individual within our staff that's dedicated to that. Where prior seasons, we didn't have anything like this. We didn't have anybody like that, even if we needed it. But we didn't have the age. And, uh, and, and, your, and your demographic is historically not that aware of how to navigate the collegiate and NCAA yeah. landscape, right? That's true, too. Correct. Many of these kids in our program are going to be first time uh, going to college, you know, first time in their families, first generation, and their parents from either not having the experience, know how, no, nobody to talk to, or don't really speak the language well enough. You know, they're very reserved of putting themselves out there like that. They would have no idea where to go. We now can lead that. We, we have the team in place that provides that to our players. And fortunately all of it came together this year because we had the age and we now have a coordinator that understands that and we can support our coordinator. So, and you, and you got, and you got accepted into the elite league that kind of demanded you have those kind of resources. It all kind of came together ironically during COVID. Yep. All of it. Or right before COVID, all of this is going on. There's a lot of positives by the way that have come out of the COVID crisis for us, for our organization. And really it comes in the sense of being able to, to slow down and wrap our head around what we're doing, where we've come, how fast we have grown the, with this expansion approval. The trajectory was, was not so steep, but when we got approved for all ages, it just took off. And that meant now it was, coaching staff, administrative facilities, all sorts of stuff that was going to be required right away of us to be able to provide because we had to. And with the COVID coming into effect, it shut everything down because there were no leagues to play in. There were training every night of the week. There, you know, We could take our time or bought us time to hire staff, to evaluate staff that would be, we'd be able to hire and be available to us. And, and with facilities locked down everywhere, there was nothing we were going to be able to do. So we were also not faced with having to have enough space out on the fields, enough nights of the week to house all of this. It's been a positive from that perspective for me. It's helped you streamline your organization and the finances that go along with all that field space, et cetera. So, so a couple other things. So let's talk about finances. You know, this is an organization, as you've already said, where it's fully funded for all these kids, the majority of which are coming from, you know, um, disenfranchised, you know, uh, parts of the city, let's say. And, um, and so you've always re- relied on fundraising and sponsorship and various things to survive, whereas you're competing with some, you know, major professional clubs that have, you know, literally professional backing or they have, you know, major sponsorship. So how much harder has that become now during COVID? Well, yeah. Uh, On one sense, the revenue stream has shrunk dramatically. The number of teams in our club dropped, I think, 40% just because teams couldn't stay afloat. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was nowhere to train. And so they couldn't have tryouts. They couldn't collect money from the parents. Parents weren't going to pay money if there were no leagues. 
on and on and on and on. So every club and, and no matter what sport has had an impact on numbers. So our, our numbers just in terms of size of our club shrunk, but also our revenue stream right along with it shrunk. That meant sponsors that had annual sponsors of our program now were holding off or not providing sponsorship funds like they had in the past. So our revenue, our revenue stream has been negatively impacted approximately 35 to 40 percent as well. Mm-hmm. And with all of that, I'm trying, I'm thinking the good thing is we, because we're a funded program, we have to be very, very aware of our expenditures and how much, right? We can't, we don't just spend to spend and lavish. It has to have a return. It has to be something that moves the program for further. But, but being diligent in in how much you agree to pay a coach, for instance, salaries, those could be astronomical, but our program, number one, can't afford that. And two, it's the dumbest thing in the world. So you got to be smart about compensation. And we are, because even if we wanted to, you know, provide these lavish salaries to coaches. We can't, we don't have that. We're funding everything. So we have to look at our budgets and maintain our budgets at a reasonable level so that we can, we can pay all our bills at the end of the day. Right. So in that keeping our overhead as low as possible also helped in this crisis because we didn't then have to go out and get, uh, take loans grants, all this stuff, because we were in trouble and we're reliant on the parent of pay to play model to be able to manage our overhead. And we're now have all these coaches running around our club and facilities that, that we're paying astronomical hourly rates for. And now we can't pay those bills. Right. And if we can't, those coaches are all gone because we can't retain them. And now our club's in trouble. Many of the youth soccer clubs, especially the big ones around Southern California, are were all in big, big trouble. Their coaching staffs were furloughed or just let go. There was all the funding that was going on with these uh, clubs was was eliminated. So now it was 100% pay to play. Uh, so big, big problems. They were they having to take loans that they're going to have to pay back eventually. You, know, you don't, you don't want a charity organization that has debt. No. I'm not putting additional debt on and stress on us on our overhead. Well, let me, Paul, let me tell the listeners how they can help. Cause I think, you know, no matter what amount it is, you know, it's clear that you guys are doing something that's really powerful and impactful. You know, just the fact that you have a first generation of, of participants being the first in their families to go to college, that, that in and of itself is, is worthy of people's, care and support. So if people go to totalfootballacademy.com, that's T-O-T-A-L-F-U-T-B-O-L academy.com. There's a donate button on the left-hand side and any amount is, is very much welcome and appreciated for this amazing cause. You know, there's a quote I picked out for you, Paul. I just, you know, you've already kind of iterated this today on this, on this uh, interview. Uh, but I'd love your response to it as it relates to how you run this organization. And the quote is, in the face of adversity, we have a choice. We can be bitter or we can be better. Those words are my North Star. Yeah, I mean, that says it That, that says it all, pretty much. Now, uh, again, I'm not the kind who who just goes by sayings or, or puts out, you know, these kind of quotes. 
it's your actions speak louder than words, right? But belief, these type of beliefs is what, what opens the door for somebody like you and I to go out and go beyond the unknown, you know, the, where most are concerned and won't do anything and dwell on the negative. We go out and even though we're uncertain, we're not sure where we're heading, we go. Yes. Because eventually you have something in you, innate in you, that says, we're going to get there. I know I will. I don't know how, but it's going to happen. And if I don't put myself in that situation, I'll never get there. And we do that. That's just the way we are. Yeah. So in essence, yeah, we are better. We 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 dwell on the better and not love, on the bitter. I love that. I love that. And, I, you know, there was a couple data points I was going to bring up about COVID, but I, I'm going to kind of switch gears and end. On, on one last question. Um, sure. you're, you're familiar with the book Outliers. Yes. Okay. So that book, just for the audience, if people haven't heard of it, that book is by uh, Malcolm Gladwell. And, and, and in that book, he talks about a lot about sports, not solely, but a lot about sports. And he talks about how early developers, kids that were born in January, February, March, have a distinct advantage in sports. And they tend to be the ones that get elevated early in their careers because they're a 10, 11, 12 months older than everybody else on their age year. And so I'm curious, Paul, what you think of that, what you say to the people who are at the, at the, at the bottom end of that birth year thing and how this whole COVID experience sort of shakes up your view on that quote unquote outlier concept. I, I believe it wholeheartedly. I think it's phenomenal and it is real. This isn't something made up. Uh, this is, this happens. It's been going on forever, especially with athletes and you see it. And, and eventually the outliers or the late developers because of their birth year and, uh, they all catch up to the older generation of their birth year. That's just the way it is. Generally when they get into like, uh, freshmen in college, you know, they, they're all caught up. And at that point, those late developers or outliers that stayed the course and were able to to fight through it, through all the adversity, all those years of being the last guy on the team or not playing much or not considered for anything or, you know, getting beat down by the older group, that they survive all that, they end up at the end of the day on top of all of them because they not only have matured physically, They've also got the mental capacity that the others didn't have to go through. They will compete at a whole nother level and would never quit. And when it's the times get tough, the tough get going. They are the tough that get going because those that rode the path of superiority and I didn't have to work at all because it just came naturally to me. And I was just so much bigger and faster than everybody that all catches up to them. And so when they're tasked with being asked to have to take the intensity, the work rate to a whole nother level and to be challenged, they can't do it. They fall apart. They succumb to it, basically, because they don't know how to handle it. Yeah, that's a very good point. And it's kind of, you know, I didn't bring it up with this in mind, but as I'm listening to you, I'm hearing the metaphor, the parallel between COVID and what we're all going through, which is hopefully making us all stronger and what yeah. you're talking about with those late developers. So I think it's, I think it's giving us all an edge in a good way. We have to look at it that way. I'm choosing to look at 
this experience as challenging as it can be as, hey, well, how am I growing from this? How am I getting stronger from this? How is this going to make me better in the future? Oh, so, you know what, Rob, real quick on that, the message to our youth that are in our program, that is the message, even though we're not saying it to them, our actions are speaking very loudly. We are actively still working, still the machine is still rolling. What, however we can do it, we're doing it during COVID, right? Yeah. So it's, the message to these kids is even, COVID couldn't stop us. COVID, you know, nothing will stop us. And therefore it can't stop you. Yeah. And there's a, always a way to fight through whatever it is, whatever the adversity is. And this is a great lesson for all these kids. Because when somebody go, somebody makes a comment to them, somebody like, oh my God, you know, I don't know how you survived COVID. Well, they'll have an answer for them that will come back in a very positive, you know, turn the light on, turn for it'll, it'll inform the rest of their life. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what you've built, Paul, is doing the same. And uh, I really admire what you have done and built and what you continue to do. And that's why you're the first person to be on the show twice. So uh, thanks for that. And thanks for your, your words of wisdom today. I hope the audience, I know the audience will get a lot of value out of it. And again, um, if you want to be supportive, go to TotalFootballAcademy.com. You'll find the donate button there and you can read all about the program. Um, that Paul has uh, spent the last 20 plus years building. So Paul Walker, thanks for being here today. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate this. It's not every day I get to talk about this project. And this is certainly, you know, comforting to me to know that there's people like you out there supporting this program that are interested in this program and what we do. I've met a lot along the way. And every time I, I'm able to sit down with somebody like you to talk about it, it really makes my day. So kudos to you and what you're doing. And um, I look forward to another time. Uh, there, I'm sure there will be. Thanks so much for being here. Take care. All right, Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been inspired and motivated by what you heard today, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Post it on social media, invite friends, and let me know if you have any potential guests. While you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to connect with you as well, so check out our Facebook page by searching Clear Choices. I'm available for speaking engagements, and you can find more information by visiting our website at clearchoices.live. And all this can be found in our show notes. Join us next week for more inspiring stories that can help us all make clear choices. Thanks for listening.